We bid you welcome to the commencement of our Harvest Weekend services. And we're going to commence the service tonight by turning to the hymn 18. Praise to the Lord Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is. We'll stand together while we have our opening praise, please. together in prayer and still ourselves in the Lord's presence. Let us all pray. Our gracious, loving, and eternal Heavenly Father, we bow again in thy presence in the attitude of prayer, in the great assurance that is in our hearts, that we have one in the glory, who is our advocate, one who is our mediator. Therefore, we come humbly before thee this evening to give thee the praise of our hearts for all that has been provided for us in what Christ has accomplished at Calvary. We thank thee for a finished work. We thank thee for 
a redemption that is complete. And we rejoice this evening hour that the Saviour cried when upon the cross, finished. Nothing more that needs to be done. We thank thee the tomb is empty. We thank thee that the Saviour is seated at thy right hand. And because he lives, we will live also. And so our loving Father, we come this evening to give thee the praise of our hearts for all your mercies that you bestowed upon us. We see around us, even in this building tonight, the temporal provision, the temporal mercies that thou dost bestow upon us. And we're very conscious that thy word tells us that it rains on the just as well as the unjust. And you've promised the seed time and the harvest. And our loving Father, we come to thank thee for all your provision for us in a temporal sense. But above all, tonight we thank thee for the great provision that you've made for us in the person of thy Son. We thank thee that we no longer need to languish in our sin. We rejoice that we've not been left to the doom of a lost eternity. But we thank thee that in loving kindness Jesus came. We thank thee for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. The one who lived that spotless, perfect life. The one who went all the way to Calvary and there suffered and bled and died. And we thank thee that victoriously he rose again from the tomb. Conquering death, conquering hell, conquering the grave. And we come this evening to thank thee for that provision that has been made. And we pray, our loving Father, that as we have come to the house of God this evening, thou dost know all our hearts. You know every need. You see us through and through. You see our shortcomings. You see our failings. And loving Father, we come like Hagar once of old, who said, Thou God, seest me. Man looks on the outward appearance. And oh, to many the outward appearance might be that which is fine and that which is accommodating and that which is commendable, but we desire, Lord, that you would look upon our hearts tonight. Thou would search us through and through. And as thy servant comes to preach thy word, we pray that thou will endue him with the power of the Holy Ghost. We thank thee for him. We thank thee for the gifts and the talents that thou hast given to him. We are very conscious that tonight thy child needs that endowment of the power of God the Holy Spirit. As he sings, as he ministers thy word, as he comes to preach thy truth, we pray that he'll be conscious of that endowment of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word of God. Prepare all our hearts. May our hearts be that good ground prepared to receive aright the good seed of the word of God. Bless the choir as they sing. Bless our time as we Render praise to thee, and loving Father, in all these things. May it be done with a single eye and aim to bring honour and glory to the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue with us now, we pray, and ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to further sing to God's praise the words of the hymn number 23, For the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. <clears throat>
Not only is our brother Greer going to minister God's word to us tonight, but he's also going to come now and sing to us. I'm going to ask him to come and bring his two messages in song now. God bless you, brother. Rock. 
rocks and trees of skies and seas, his hand the wonders Messages to all of our hearts. We bid you welcome in the Saviour's name to this, the commencement of our harvest services over this weekend. And to those here in the congregation, we thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us this evening. And also to those who are joining with us on Sermon Audio, uh, on Facebook, and on YouTube, we thank you as well. And we trust that as we gather over this weekend, that we know something of the Lord's blessing. Let's pray to that end that we'll have a sense of his presence. It's good to fellowship one with the other, but I trust that we'll have fellowship with him and know what it is to commune with Christ in our hearts. I wonder, child of God, when last had you a conscious sense of having that sweet communion with the Lord? Let's earnestly pray that we'll have that sense of his nearness as we meet over this weekend. Supper will be served after the service this evening, and again we thank the ladies for all the work that they've done. And so don't uh, rush away, but stay with us and have a time of fellowship around a cup of tea and something to eat. The harvest services will continue over the weekend, and Lord's Day morning we commence with the season of prayer at 8am, and we seek God's face in prayer. We pray that that time of prayer will know the blessing of God as we call upon the Lord so that he might set a seal upon the, the labours of uh, the people of God here in Hebron. Sunday school will be at 10.30, Bible class at 10.45, and we'll continue our series on answers for perilous times, studies in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we want to deal with the subject of the relevance of the resurrection. And I trust that you'll remember us as we uh, bring that message tomorrow morning. Then our morning worship service uh, at 12 noon, when our guest preacher, as has been the case over the last number of years, will be Dr. John Douglas. We pray for God's servant as he comes and pray that the Lord will bless him as he ministers to us the word of God. And our own Hebron choir will be ministering in song. In the evening service, and that service will be at 7 p.m., preceded by the time of prayer at 6.30, when the guest preacher will be the Reverend Garth Wilson, who is a minister in our Sandown Road congregation. And again, the Hebron choir will minister in song. Do remember these services. Pray for God's blessing. Pray for God's servants. 
as they come to preach God's word. We're going to have our evening tithe and offering, and while we lift the evening tithes and offering, we're going to sing the hymn, Come Ye Thankful People Come, and just a reminder that all the loose offering over the harvest weekend goes to our building fund. And so if you could remember that, please, and all the loose offering over uh, the weekend will go to our building fund. We'll remain seated for the opening verses of the hymn, Come Ye Thankful, People Come. coming, can I also thank our sister Diane McLean and those who worked diligently to prepare uh, the building for the harvest services. As we often say, it is never taken for granted. There's a huge amount of work and time and effort also to those who brought uh, fruit and vegetables and flowers and tractors and hoes and rakes and all sorts of other things implements that I probably don't even know what they are but thank you in the Saviour's name and we're going to have the choir sing to us now please.
just to linger with the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee. forward again to hearing them over the weekend and to Sylvie and Diane and to our choir members we thank them sincerely in the Lord's name. It is a joy for us to welcome to our service this evening Reverend, uh, well he will be the Reverend Stephen Greer but he's a fourth year student, a final year student, currently placed in a Macrofilt congregation and our brother uh, it's a joy for us to have you with us this evening, and we trust and pray that as you come to minister God's word, that the Lord will bless you. As you already heard, not only is our brother able to preach God's word, but he's a very accomplished uh, singer and player on the piano and all sorts of instruments. And recently, uh, he has released a CD. I just asked him if he had any with him, and he has brought some with him. So if you want one of those, if you see him after uh, the service... Brother, you're welcome in the Saviour's name. Just before he comes, can I also say, just to remember the Reverend Park and Mrs. Park as they travel home, uh, we are trusting, I know Phil is as well, that Mr. Park will be here for uh, the services tomorrow. But do remember them as you travel. And also pray for the land of Israel. 
Israel tonight is in a very dark place. Over 150 people have been murdered, killed, and it is a dark hour. This will only escalate. And the scriptures tell us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And if we want to know what things are going to be in the end time, keep our eye on Israel. And just pray that God's will will be done in all things in terms of this situation. And so, dear brother, you're welcome in the Saviour's name to be brought. Well, I'm preaching tonight on the mustard seed, and the Bible talks about having faith like a mustard seed. Mervyn clearly does, uh, because he's conferred the title of reverend upon me. A wee way to go, Mervyn. So, but thanks for the vote of confidence. I want to thank uh, Reverend Park for the invitation to come here tonight and to take part in this meeting. Um, and I have, it's my privilege to be here and take part in your harvest services this weekend. I also need to thank Mervyn for the invitation to make you aware that not just me, but um, a lot of other people took part in a recording project, which we hope will raise as much money as we can for uh, two very worthy causes. One of them is an addiction ministry to uh, people who suffer from such things, alcoholism and drug addiction outside Balamina. It's called Building Bridges. And the other is the Precious Orphanage in Nepal, which of course is under our mission board of our denomination. And many of you will know about that already. Um, now, because my wife and I swapped cars earlier, I actually just remembered two minutes ago, I don't have any CDs with me, but ask me how you can get one, and I'll tell you, and it won't take long. Thank you, Mervyn, for that opportunity to mention that. I would like to invite you to turn in the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 4, where we will read this evening. Mark 4. We'll break into the passage at verse 26 and read down to the end of verse 34. Let's give our attention to the Word of God. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches." so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Amen. Let's break out of the chapter there, asking God to bless his word to our hearts. I invite you who know the Lord to bow your heads with me for a moment as we consider the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you this evening that we are found in the house of God and that in your grace you have ordained for us to be here. We thank you, O Lord, for the many blessings that we have been reminded of tonight already. And Father, we confess that unlike many in this world, we do not know what it is to go hungry. We do not know what it is to suffer from starvation. You have provided for us year after year. You've blessed this country in so many ways. And Lord, best of all, you have blessed us with the moving of the Spirit of God that worked throughout generations in our grandparents and in our parents, and that gospel testimony, that gospel heritage has been handed down across the years. And now, Lord, it is our privilege to come and to consider the Word of God together at another harvest season. And Lord, as you have been working recently in this vicinity, we pray that as we come to the Scriptures tonight, that you would continue to work in the hearts of sinners. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to speak with the voice that wakes the dead. We pray, Lord, that you would take sinful men and women out of their dead state, that you would give them that life, that you would give them faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that as we are taught to pray, thy kingdom come, that we would see others enter into the kingdom even this evening. Oh Lord, we ask these things for the glory of our Savior alone and in his name. Amen. The fourth chapter of Mark presents the Lord Jesus Christ in a setting which I think some men would dream of. I refer to the fact uh, which we are told in verse 1 that he was facing and had the opportunity to speak to a great multitude. Many people nowadays aspire to have a following, and they do all that they can for the sole purpose of increasing that following, because nowadays, if you have a following on, online or social media, that very quickly can translate through advertisements into money. The Lord Jesus Christ was a man with a great following. He had gained a following because of his displays of supernatural power because he healed the sick and cast out devils. He gained a following because of his ability to answer the questions of the Pharisees and confound them and show that he was much wiser than they were. He had also gained a following because of his teaching, his own mighty words of truth. Jesus' fame was such that at times he had to leave the normal places of living and move into desert places. And so we say of the Lord Jesus tonight, in his day, that he was becoming a figure of great interest to a people who were interested in following a great figure. I say this because in the nation of Israel at that time, there was expectation of the Messiah. The people were waiting for their promised deliverer, according to the Old Testament scriptures. They had, however, a misconception that he would come and would lead them to military might and political success and national sovereignty. Instead, they were met with Jesus of Nazareth, as far as their eyes were concerned, and their estimation of him was concerned, who had not come to raise an army or to whip his followers into a frenzy so that he could, get, he could line his own pockets. Jesus had come to establish a kingdom that was not of this world. He came to establish the kingdom of God, as our text tells us this evening, this parable of the mustard seed, which illustrates what the kingdom of God is. If you were to turn back to Mark chapter 1, just a page or two, and read in verse 15, what it says that Jesus preached as he came into Galilee, that's the same region where our reading takes place, Mark 1.15 says that Jesus Christ preached this message, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. I heard this phrase recently. I thought it was neat and memorable, so let me share it with you. In this verse, Mark 1 and 15, we see the kingdom of heaven drawing near when the king of heaven drew near. In this verse, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is present on earth because he is there. The kingdom of God, you see, is Christ's mission and it was his message. The kingdom of God is God ruling on earth through his Son. And here the kingdom of God is announced by the king himself. He preaches repentance and he preaches submission to his authority. Now I go back to those people, influencers, YouTubers, trying to build a following. If you're trying to do that, you will sell your idea as hard as possible. You'll encourage everyone who will listen to come and join your movement You'll amplify all the benefits of being part of what it is that you're doing. You'll advertise it in the most exciting way possible, and at times you might be tempted to exaggerate just a little. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of heaven, who had come to usher in the greatest spiritual heavenly kingdom that the world will ever see, compared his kingdom to a mustard seed. A very unusual tactic for those who try to establish a movement. Now, I took the liberty tonight of putting some mustard seeds on your harvest display, so I hope uh, Mrs. McLean won't fall out with me afterwards for ruining her good work. I don't know if you can see them. You need very good eyesight to spot them from where you are. If you did see them, you might think that you had a rodent problem because they're so small. No gardener would ever go out of his way for one of these seeds. They're insignificant. You drop one on the ground, you wouldn't stop to pick it up on a busy day. It just wouldn't be worth your time. But this is the object which Jesus Christ chose 
to illustrate what is the kingdom of God. So this evening, I just simply want to ask a question and then answer it as we consider this parable together. The question is, how is the kingdom of God like a mustard seed? First of all, we see that it's like a mustard seed because it is planted on earth. It's planted on earth. Read, please, in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth. How is it that a seed is planted? How is it that John the Baptist announced the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said to his audience, repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? How was this kingdom ushered in? How is a seed planted? Well, if you have a garden, and it's in the context of a garden that this parable is written, you will know that you won't just take the seeds of vegetables or fruit into your garden and just scatter them around the way you would do if you were sowing out a lawn. You'll put them in the ground carefully. You don't sow mustard seed haphazardly. You sow it carefully. And so it is with the Lord Jesus and His coming to earth. It was according to a plan. God specified in the Old Testament Scriptures that Jesus Christ would be born in a particular tribe, the tribe of Judah, and He would be part of the house of David. And so he was. God specified also in Micah 5 and verse 2 that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And he was. In Isaiah 7 and 14, God specified Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin. And he was exactly as God had carefully planned. The, the gardener also goes, goes out into his garden and he plants a seed carefully and he also plants with confidence because when you put a seed in the ground, you have expectation there's going to be fruit. I'm not putting it in here and expecting nothing to happen and wasting my time. There's going to be something growing here in a few weeks or months. And when the angel came to speak to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the guardian of the Lord Jesus, he told Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There never was a seed planted with more confidence than the kingdom of God. God knew, according to His eternal decree, when the fullness of time was come, that the Lord Jesus would come to this earth, would be born of a woman under the law, and to redeem them that were under the law. The kingdom is like a mustard seed because it was planted on earth carefully with confidence. 1 Peter 1 and verse, 1 Peter 1 and verse 20 tells us of the Lord Jesus who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, appeared in these last times for you. He was planted like a seed on earth to be the source of the spiritual life of all His people, to purchase them by His own life-giving blood. And He appeared to bring in the kingdom. And so He taught here in this parable of His own kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, read on with me, please, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. This reminds us of a very obvious fact, if you strain your eyes and look at that table down there, that like the mustard seed, the kingdom of God is despised by men. He says here of the mustard seed, it is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. The word less is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as least. There's nothing smaller. Some people look at this part of the parable, and this is really a side point, but worth mentioning to defend the Scriptures. Some claim that there's a fault in the Scriptures because there are other seeds in the world that are smaller, much smaller than the mustard seed, seeds that you can't really see with the naked eye. And they claim an accuracy by the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you think of the context, and if you think of the people to whom Christ preached, not botanists, ordinary Galileans, gardeners, people who grew fruit and vegetables to sustain themselves. And then if you look at the words, all the seeds that be in the earth. All the seeds that you ever would put in the earth. The mustard seed is the smallest of them. The meaning is clear. There's no concern over the accuracy of Scripture. Jesus 
is talking to these people about their gardens and what they would typically put in the ground. And the mustard seed was the most insignificant. And he reminds them of this to teach them and now to teach us that the kingdom of God is often despised by men. This was, in his text, just a single grain, just one of those little seeds. And so you could see how someone would despise it. And we know as Christians, perhaps, there have been times when we have come across someone in work, or maybe in our families, and as we've tried to walk before them, to walk with God, and to maintain a Christian testimony, they have despised us. They've despised the Word of God. They've despised the principles that we have lived our lives by. I remember one of my friends from the church in Balamina, a guy who grew up in the youth and went his own way for a number of years. Later on, the Lord saved him. And then he gave his testimony in youth fellowship one evening. And you'll know this word. He said, you know, before I was saved, I looked at all you Christians and I just thought you were so rare. I didn't want to be like you. I didn't want to spend any time with you. You could say that he despised us. He thought we were pathetic. Just like you would treat a mustard seed if it was on your arm, brush it off. Nothing to be concerned about. The world thinks this about Christianity because often in their eyes, the kingdom of God appears to be pitiful. Think of the smallness of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is the kingdom of the reign of God in the hearts of those people whom he has redeemed. So think of pre-flood times and God instructs Noah to build an ark and Noah seems crazy out of his mind to all the people that passed by. And the earth was heavily populated at that time. But only Noah and seven family members were saved out of the whole multitude. Small. They despised him. They despised his message. When the Lord spoke to Abraham and his wife Sarah in advanced years and told them that they would have a, an heir, a son, Sarah laughed. She despised the very idea, but that idea was essentially the whole future of the kingdom of God. She despised it. Perhaps, Christian, there are times when you are guilty of looking, perhaps, at your own congregation here, or the work of God in general, and you measure the work of God with your eyes. You don't walk by faith. You don't lean upon the Word of God. You don't look to the Lord to encourage you. You just look at the difficulties. You look at the low numbers at this meeting and that meeting. You measure the work of God with your eyes. You despise the day of small things and you do the exact thing that we are told not to do. Are you guilty of this? You are looking at the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells us here in this parable that when it is sown, it is the least of all the seeds that be in the earth it does appear at times to be small. Christ himself was estimated by men to be unremarkable. He was, as Isaiah tells us, despised and rejected of men. He was born in a stable. You would not dream of doing that now. He was born in a stable. He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. He wasn't a highly educated person as far as the world's standards were. He gathered around him a group of followers who were generally uneducated people. They often lacked understanding. They weren't world beaters. They weren't going to go out and set the world alight through their own strength. But that was the kingdom of God. And so you and I need to remind ourselves to be encouraged in the Scriptures, to be encouraged in the Lord. And even what he tells us here of the kingdom of God, that though things are small, Yet it is the kingdom of God. It is God reigning on earth through His Son in our hearts. And we're not to give up. We're not to be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Peter advises us here to how to deal with the cruel treatment of an ungodly and a scoffing world. First Peter 4 and verse 4 a bit like my friend who said that all the Christian young people were rare. First Peter 4 verse 4 says, They think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot. The world will think you're strange for not indulging in sin as they do. And then he tells us in verse 12 of First Peter 4, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, 
that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So this parable continues, and although it acknowledges the reality that often the work of God physically to the eye appears to be small and insignificant and is very often despised by men, there's also just unbelievable positivity. The third thought I want to bring to you, reading in verse 32, but when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. I'm told that the black mustard seed that was typical of Israel had a diameter of one millimeter. These, I think, are from India. They're not far off that measurement. And then if you read and research what a mustard plant can achieve by way of height and size, you'll find that on average they'll grow to around three meters. So from one millimeter to three meters is a factor of 3,000. And if you take a plant that we are all impressed by, for example, an oak tree, the factor of growth from its acorn to the final, the, the final full-grown tree is 1,000. The point in the parable is that the mustard seed, i.e. the kingdom of God, produces an astonishing growth that is far beyond what anybody could have imagined. It produces an incredible growth. And the point that I want you to get a hold of is that the growth is continuous. Look in the verse 32. It says, when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. Both groweth and becometh are words in the present tense. And so even as we read this passage now, we read those two words and we are to take from it that the kingdom of God is still growing. It's still increasing. After all these years, after all these times when the church has been despised and men have looked at the kingdom of God and thought little of it, there have also been times of great blessing. There was Pentecost in the days that followed with thousands being saved and brought into the kingdom. There was the rapid spread of the gospel all over Europe by the end of that first century. And then throughout the years, there were great revivals and awakenings and the Reformation as we talk about it. And so unsaved one, unbeliever, you who are not members of the kingdom of God, your unbelief, your refusal to accept the gospel is inexcusable because you see the continuous growth of this kingdom throughout the years, over the centuries, so resilient, so surprising. After all the efforts that people have made to stamp it out, to take away the Word of God for years, not giving the people the Scriptures in their common language, and yet that was achieved. After all these years, the kingdom of God remains and it continues to grow. And you see the evidence of it around you. You have Christian friends and family members, and if the Lord were here, He could say to them, the kingdom of God is within you, for they have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And so you're a witness to the existence of the kingdom of God because those people who were once sinners are now saved. They're redeemed. And their lives have changed. And yet you continue in your sin. After these 2,000 years, many, many kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, have risen and fallen. And in the biblical record, we read about empires like the Persian Empire, which was responsible for allowing the Jews to go back into their homeland and rebuild the temple. The Persian Empire had its day and was followed by the Greeks and then the Romans. In more modern times, you think of the 15th century, there was the Spanish Empire colonizing so much of South America. There was the Russian Empire in the 1800s and then the largest of all empires, and try not to be proud, the British Empire, that at one point controlled 26% of the whole land area of this world a vast empire, the greatest that there has ever been, and it fell. But the kingdom of God remains. It will always continue. It will never stop growing. When it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. The progress of the kingdom pictured in these words shooteth out great branches in verse 32, and then followed by this idea of birds coming to roost in the tree and take shelter underneath its shade, reminds us, reminds you who are unsaved that the gospel, the kingdom of God, is a great blessing to you. It is what restrains you from going further into sin. 
the influence of the kingdom of God in those godly people in your life has kept you and preserved you, for they are the light of the world. They are like salt of the earth. And yet, in your heart, truth be told, you despise them because you despise the gospel. You're not a member of the kingdom of God. Why do you not accept Christ? Why would you not get saved? When you have all of this evidence, what else do you need? One final thought at the end of the parable in that verse 32, that phrase, becometh greater than all herbs, teaches us that the kingdom of God is preeminent. There is no kingdom greater. This uninterrupted growth, although it seems small, although at times the enemies of God, maybe in a particular country, would rejoice because they think they've gotten rid of it. Take, for example, the country of North Korea that's so oppressive and has locked its borders down so tightly to try to prevent the inflow of Western ideologies. We know the Bible is there. We know that Christians are in that country. There's nothing they can do about it. God's kingdom is growing. The least of all the seeds in this parable became the greatest of all the herbs. And you and I don't know what the future will bring. We don't know what earthly kingdoms and empires may yet be established. But we do know that when all is said and done, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will be the greatest of all the kingdoms. Just as it was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9 and verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with, with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And it was also prophesied at Christ's birth. They were told in Luke 1 verse 33, of this little child that was not yet born, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And as I mentioned, I think in a prayer, we're taught to pray, thy kingdom come. Which means, amongst other things, that we are to pray and labor that others would be brought into the kingdom. That the kingdom of grace may be advanced, that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. And I am confident there are people in this room who have been prayed for with those very words, Lord, bring them in. And as yet, you are not part of this kingdom. You're still in the field. I want to turn with you as we close to Colossians, just to a couple of verses. Please, Colossians chapter 1. We'll turn to verse 12. We see what it is that happens to a person who is brought into the kingdom. And we read in Colossians 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That word translated is a change, an exchange, a change of citizenship, so that by the power of God, in his sovereign grace, he can take you, sinner, and he can give you a new citizenship. He will transfer you from the power of darkness and the kingdom of the devil and put you in his glorious kingdom. He can do that for you right now. He does it because, verse 14, of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, was shed for rebels and shed for sinners, and all the believers can say, thank God, shed for me. But if you're unsaved tonight, you can't say that yet. You can't claim him as your own. You need to come and bow the knee to the King of Kings and trust him and stop trying if it's that you are self-righteous and you take great pride in being associated with this place and you do your best to live well. That is not good enough. That will never get you into the kingdom of God. How can you enter the kingdom of God except you be born again? You will never see the kingdom of God. All you need to do is trust in the Lord Jesus, in whom you may have redemption through his blood, 
You may have the forgiveness of sins and you may have the promise of God tonight that you're a citizen of heaven. That this world is no longer your home. It's just a temporary place for you. I urge you tonight to come and accept the Lord Jesus. To come to the side that is victorious and join those of us who are a happy band because we know we are marching to heaven at Jesus' command. We know it. And so get saved tonight. Come and speak to someone who you know is a Christian and can advise you well. And may God write his word upon our hearts. Let's close in a word of prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your grace to us and your mercy that we who deserve absolutely nothing have had the great privilege of being brought into the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, we thank you for that time when the Holy Spirit worked in our hearts and gave us faith to lay hold of the Lord Jesus, to trust in him, in his atoning blood, in his finished work, and to stop trying to earn favor with God. Oh Lord, I pray that you would speak to sinners tonight. Lord, we ask that you would take the word of God and apply it with great power to the hearts of the unconverted. Lord, also we pray that over this harvest weekend that there would be a renewing of the zeal of the people of God here, that they would be encouraged. Lord, even as they perhaps think and contemplate how the Lord has been bringing new souls into the kingdom in recent times. Lord, we are often guilty of asking and asking, and then when you work, we maybe don't thank you as we should. Lord, we praise you, and we thank you this evening for saving souls. Lord, we pray that God's people would be encouraged, and we pray, Lord, that as we spend time in fellowship together, that you would bless the things that have been provided, those who have prepared them for us, and that you would have your hand upon the meetings that are arranged over the rest of this weekend. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.